Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to actually, uh, I don't have exactly a talk today, but just a reflection on um, a koan. Uh, there's a new book that I've been reading for several months, a new translation, and I'm going to share a screen here in just a moment. And a new translation of uh, the Blue Cliff Record. Oh, I thought I was going to easily get to the... <laughs> I don't know what I just did here. I thought I was easily going to get to the cover. Okay, here's the cover. It's called The Garden of Flowers and Weeds, a new translation and commentary on the Blue Cliff Record by Matthew Juxan Sullivan, who lives in Canada. He's a student uh, of primarily uh, Korean Zen teachers, and he has a, a completely accessible and interesting way of, of presenting the the Blue Cliff Record, which is only one of several major uh, uh, koan collections, and he makes a point of saying that it, that it 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 is a literary document. It was created in a society where poetry was valued, where poetry conveyed uh, and, and reinforced social position, and where connection with the Dharma got mixed up in in that. So uh, it's a, you know, a complex social construct. Um, but uh, what I want to share is this uh, one page koan, the first case in the Blue Cliff Record, the emperor asked Bodhidharma, and I'm, I'm leaving it up on the screen. Of course, you can't see it across the Zendo, but uh, I'm going to read it. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll ask for uh, some reflections on it just to just to see if anybody has any reactions to the story. It's one of the most famous ones, uh, but it is in this version slightly different from other versions I've seen. And I'll, I'll talk about some of those differences in a minute. But it goes like this. Emperor Wu of Liang asked great master Bodhidharma, what is the true meaning of the Holy Dharma? Bodhidharma said, it is empty, not holy. The emperor asked, who is this who stands before me? Bodhidharma said, I don't know. The emperor did not understand. Bodhidharma crossed the Yangtze River and departed for the north. Later, the emperor asked Master Baozhu about, about this exchange. Master Baozhu said, does your majesty still not know who that man is? The emperor said, I don't know. Master Baozhu said, he is the great being of Oli Avalokiteshvara, transmitting the Buddha's mind seal. The emperor had misgivings. He was going to dispatch a messenger to ask Bodhidharma to return. Master Baozhu said, Your Majesty, do not think you can fetch him back with a messenger. Every person in the land could go, and he still would not turn around. So I want to ask you just to think about this exchange. It's a very famous exchange. Uh, in other versions, I've seen it, the emperor doesn't ask, what is the meaning of the Holy Dharma? He asks, what merit have I earned 
with my decades of support for Buddhist temples and uh, all the work I've done be on behalf of, of spreading Buddhism in this land of China. Uh, and uh, Bodhidharma says, uh, you have no merit. And then the question is, well, what is the Dharma? And he says, a vast emptiness, nothing holy. So there are different ways in which this story is presented. Um, but in this version, the, here's the emperor asking the question, what is the true meaning of the Holy Dharma? And Bodhidharma says, it's empty, not holy. And the emperor then asks the question, who is this who stands before me? And Bodhidharma says, I don't know. And then Bodhidharma just ups and leaves. He doesn't just leave the room, he crosses the Yangtze River and departs to the north. He, he, he splits out of there. And on the altar at Apamata, there's a white porcelain figure of Bodhidharma uh, with his robes gathered up around him. And it's hard to see, but he's standing on a reed crossing the Yangtze River. So this may be that very moment when he was going to the north and he stood on a, on a reed and crossed this entire gigantic river. I don't know of other versions of the story that include the, the ensuing dialogue between the emperor and Master Bajo, uh, who was a who was himself a famous Buddhist teacher. Not he's not counted as a Zen ancestor, but he's definitely a very important figure in uh, Buddhist schools that were active at the at the time when Bodhidharma showed up, uh, and a great you know a, 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 a prized advisor to the emperor. And he recognizes that Bodhidharma is not just some guy who showed up, um, but in fact, uh, the great being Avalokiteshvara, transmitting the Buddha's mind seal. So he's, he says he's, he has said something very important, very true, that other understandings of Buddhism fall short compared to and, and then the last part, which is, which I don't understand at all. I don't understand why it's important in the story. The emperor was going to send a, uh, a messenger to ask him to return and talk some more, I gather. And Master Bajo says, don't think you can fess him back with the messenger. Everybody in the country could go and try and get him to turn around and it would not affect him. He would not turn around. I, and I, I'm, I'm curious as to how that fits into the story. I, I, it doesn't, it, it doesn't uh, flow from the rest of the story for me. So I would just like for reactions to the story. And I have some, I have some ideas about it, uh, but I don't want to give them yet. I don't want to uh, interrupt other thoughts that other people might have. But, um, if you have any reactions to this story, so just as a story, who are the characters? What are their relationships? Where are you in the story? That's what I'm wondering about. Where, where are you when you hear this story? Uh, are you far away? Are you in the room? What is it? I just, if you could share your thoughts on that, I'd be very grateful. So I see Nelda has raised her hand. Good morning, Joel. Thank you for this. Thank you, everyone, for your for your presence. Um, 
you know, the first thing that came up for me, I, I love this story and I have heard it in the, the various ways, including this one kind of sort of, you know, there's also always slight variations. But what always comes up is no gift, no giver, no receiver. So that when the, the king, the emperor asks about, do I have any merit? Um, for me, those are similar. We don't really, <laughs> even our practice is empty. There's, there's no gain to us. If there is any merit, what merit there is, we don't know. Um, no gift, no giver, no receiver is all that keeps resonating in, in my body. Um, so I'm interested in what folks have to say about the very last paragraph, because when I read it before and to this day, I can't figure out why he wouldn't come back, to, except <laughs> I'm speculating. The story I make up is, you know, Emperor, if you don't get it, <laughs> my coming back's not going to help at all. So that's what I have this morning. Thank you for bringing this, Joel. Thank you, Nelda. Rosemary? Yeah, thank you, Joel. Um, so my first um, thought about um, the Emperor's response to it's empty, not holy. And he says, well, who, who, <laughs> what I got was, well, who are you um, to tell me this? Because in a way he is challenging the question, um, what is the meaning of the holy Dharma? And um, that the emperor, you know, might not have liked the challenge. That was, that was just my thought on that. Um, by who said like, who are you? Who is this stands before me? And he certainly didn't like the I don't know. Um, and then um, why would he not come back? Um, my thought was he has um, provided a thought um, and information. It's empty, not holy. And that the emperor without, without um, more has this to go by and um that that was the teaching you have you have what you need hmm. thank you thank you rosemary well i i'm gonna give a couple of thoughts one is that this is there's a there, there's a sociology to this story but we have a couple of and, Joe, we have a couple okay. of comments in the Zendo. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see. Uh, uh, so comments from the Zendo? Who will go first? Um, guys, should I stop sharing so we can see more or we keep it like this? That's, or... a, good, that's a good idea, yes. Oh, you have to stop sharing, Joel. Oh, thank you. Stop sharing, okay. Is it better? So in most koans, it seems that, uh, though it seems sometimes like a little bit of a hostile relationship, like with Bodhidharma and the, and the emperor, actually Bodhidharma is trying to teach in some way. 
the you know the the, original, the first character is trying to teach something to the second, and I think Rosemary beautifully uh, you know emphasized that. But what's interesting to me in this in this version is the two I don't know. And the first I don't know, I attach more to uh, if I'm empty, you know, I don't know what I am. And I think the emperor in his I don't know is is catching on to something. I think it's, it's of the same depth almost as the first I don't know. And then I love what Rosemary said about the last paragraph being um, there's nothing more to do. To be said, which is a con we're working on with on Monday night, where Buddha gets up on his seat, a little teaching is done, and then he gets down. Nothing more needs to be said, and so so uh, it's, it's really beautiful. A beautiful. I haven't seen it before this translation, and it's really beautiful. And also, I like that merit isn't part of the trend the koan because people usually emphasize that part of it mm. when they read that and um, I really appreciate that you bringing that to us mm. Joel thank you okay. things, they confuse each other that kind of thing mm -hmm. just having the one is good mm. I think I, I will say I'm going to I'm going to read uh, Matthew Juxan Sullivan's commentary on this uh, in just a minute, and it'll it's it uh, it's a much different viewpoint than I have had in the past, and and you may find it interesting as well. And so, uh, and, and uh, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, I was just listening to a interview with Takahan and. I was wondering about the, he would not turn back in light of other teachers and in light of our teaching of compassion um, and thinking, wow, that doesn't really seem compassion. And then I was thinking about another part of the interview where he's speaking to a woman who goes to one of his retreats does, and she's a police officer and she is talking about, you know, how can I uh, carry a gun and have the possibility of killing people and, um, and then also not be violent or be peace. And he was saying, well, there's a fierce bodhisattva and there's a compassionate bodhisattva and you have to know when to do which one. Um, and I was thinking about that as bodhidharma being a fierce, this is more on the fierce end of the um, bodhisattva. And then when he turns away, what I was thinking about, I don't know who, you know, who is this who stands before me, I don't know, is that you never know what someone else is perceiving. You never know who you are standing before. Oh, what a gift God would give us 
to see ourselves as others see us, as Robert Burns said. We never know that. And then if you send everybody in the country to fetch him back, you would not get him to turn back. And just to, to me, that's a statement of his steadfastness that he's, that turn back is not so much comeback as you wouldn't, there wouldn't be a different message if he came back. Um, you won't get him to turn away from his understanding and his teaching. So that was my take on it. I see. Uh, thank you so much, Anne. Uh, I see Lynn has her hand up. Yeah, um, I, I think what everybody has said has been amazing. And uh, Kim mentioned, Kim mentioned, um, I had written down, it's a teaching. And Kim mentioned the teaching aspect of this. And that's what I was thinking. I think it's got to be very personal to the person. Uh, I felt like I had an enlightenment, a little bit, a little bitty one during this, during your reading. And, um, and I, I feel like it's not a matter of interpreting what he meant or what was meant by the story, but what happened inside of you as a result. And um, I'm bouncing off, you know, Joel and I had a practice discussion this morning and I'm bouncing off something he said there that was kind of blew me away. Um, he said, you can give a book report or you can offer yourself. And that metaphor of a book report, to me, that's my, that's me. I can give you a book report. I can give you facts because that's my worth. Or that's what I was. Or could it be, could it be something else? Could it be something inside me that has worth that I don't think has worth? But that's where I'm working. I'm working right, bouncing off of that. So I'm thinking that he um, he gave the gift of, of himself. Mm. He gave the gift of himself. And then he crossed the Yangtze River. And I don't know exactly what that means either, but I felt like I crossed the Yangtze River myself. And uh, I also think of gate, gate, gone, gone to the other side that we say it's sort of similar. So there, that's my, those are my thoughts. Thank you, Lynn. This is such a great discussion. Darcy? Yeah, it is a really great discussion. Thanks for everybody's comments. And as people talk, it uh, feels like it's moving in me. My first, um, uh, impression when you read it, Joel, was when he said, um, so I'm thinking, you know, this is the emperor who's put forth all this effort to spread Buddhism, and he's, you know, trying to get some answer from great teacher, and the teacher's like, oh, it's not holy. He's like, well, what the heck have I been doing? You know, why have I been putting all this effort into it? And it's kind of like, 
we over idealize the, the teachings, the teacher, and nothing, none of the teachers teachings, the Dharma is any more holy than every single shred leaf, you know, everything in our lives, you know, and so that was my first impression. And um, then as people talked, it seems like it, it sort of added to the story for me. Um, he's, he's just trying to say, hey, you're, 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 you're leaning too much on me and thinking it's something special and everything's empty and you need to let go of that. And so I'm letting go of you so you can discover that. You, you, aren't, you don't need to look somewhere else like to me. I'm not coming back to give that to you. You have to find it there in your life now. That's, that's what it feels like to me. That's great, Darcy. And I, I will say that that is something that comes through in most of the koans. The teacher uh, is pushing back on the student and saying, you need to acknowledge that you have the capacity within yourself to answer your own question. And it may look like a dismissal of the question, but usually it's not really a dismissal of the question. But that's a thank you. That was that was the talk I would have given. Those were the things I would have said uh, about my reaction to the story. Thanks so much, Darcy. That's great. So I will add one other thing, which is I think important to remember, which is that this takes place in a social context. This is a Zen author recollecting a story in which Zen is given more legitimacy than the Tiantong style of Buddhism, where you sit in a monastery and you copy out the sutras that have been handed down by masters who have made over from India. And here's Bodhidharma coming from India, apparently. Uh, and he is um, he's coming with a New Testament. You know, he may he may not be the first, but it, but in the in this recollection of the story hundreds of years later, he's coming with a New Testament that says, yeah, that other stuff is nice, but it's not the real deal. You know, so pay attention to what the real deal is. And the real deal is just what Darcy was saying, that you that it's all empty. We all have to if we really pay attention to what the Buddha is saying our grasping onto our position, our social position as emperor, as servant, etc. Uh, those are those are not really real relationships. They are they are only relationships that are in constant flux. And everything about ourselves that seems solid is no different from that. Uh, so here's here's Bodhidharma coming with a new um, a New Testament, but this has a sociological impact as well. Zen monasteries also wanted imperial support and support from uh, noblemen and rich people and stuff. So uh, this is a story which makes it easier to uh, understand why you could support a Zen monastery as opposed to a different flavor of, of Buddhism, you know. So it's a it's a great teaching story. And unfortunately, it's also kind of a sales pitch, you know. I just I, I, we need to hold those. It seems to me, at least in my mind, I need to hold those as well. 
you know. So here I'm going to, I'm just going to read the, um, well, first of all, a couple of notes. So uh, Matthew Sullivan is a, is a Buddhist scholar and a Chinese scholar, and he has his own translations, uh, and he points out some very important words. Emperor Wu of Liang asked great master Dashi Bodhidharma. In Zen literature, Bodhidharma is usually called patriarch, Zushu. Here he is called great master, Daishi, which was an honorific title bestowed on eminent monks by the emperor or other high officials. By referring to Bodhidharma as Daishi in the very first case, the text seems to link him to the only other individual in the Blue Cliff record to be called by that title, great master Ma, who is uh, the, the koan about Mu is great master Ma speaking. And then one other one, uh, Bodhidharma says, it is empty, not holy. Kuran, the Chinese word, open, clear, or vast, is not the typical word for emptiness in Chinese. The usual word in Mahayana scriptures, like the Heart Sutra, is kong, vacant, hiatus, you know, like hiatus or gap, or immaterial. Neither kuran nor kong imply absolute non-existence, especially when used by Buddhists. Unlike Kong, Kuaran carries the vivid sense of a bright and sky-like emptiness. It could be also rendered as just clarity or extending boundlessly. So when we read our translations, we, we use two translations of the Heart Sutra at Apamata. One uses the term emptiness and the other uses the term boundlessness. And this shows how this oscillation between these meanings of that term coming to us from uh, ancient languages um, continues to evolve and, and, and has different meanings. So uh, I want to read uh, the, trend, the uh, commentary by uh, Matthew Jukesan Sullivan. The Blue Cliff Record was suppressed by the imperial authorities in China because they thought this dialogue throws the emperor into a bad light. We witnessed the Emperor Wu of Liang, 464 to 549, he had a long reign, questioning Bodhidharma, the legendary monk who brought the Zen teachings out of India and into China. Everything surrounding this event is a smudge of darkness. Today we possess almost no information about what Zen was like in India, or even whether it existed at all. We don't know if it was really Bodhidharma who founded the Zen sect in China, or what his school looked like in its infancy. Indeed, the historical evidence for Bodhidharma himself is fuzzy. We can guess it's unlikely the dialogue occurred as recorded since it was first written down in 758, centuries after its participants and witnesses were dead. Despite, or perhaps because of, all the uncertainties surrounding the encounter, it has captured the imag imagination of Buddhists. From the Tang Dynasty until today, it has been recognized as the origin of Zen as a spiritual tradition. When Zen emerged from the obscurity of the unrecorded past and into the light of written history. It's not an auspicious beginning. Historians know a good deal about the life of Emperor Wu of Liang. He was a devoted patron of Buddhism and did much to spread the Dharma throughout China. 
He raised hundreds of monasteries, promulgated the sutras, and ennobled teachers by inviting them to his capital. In contrast, Bodhidharma was an unknown foreigner peddling a new teaching, a man so outlandish that even his later adherents would call him the blue-eyed barbarian. And he's usually depicted as a, with harsh staring eyes and, and a, a very fierce visage. Yet when he was, I'm sorry, that was my aside. I'm going back to the text. Yet when he was granted the privilege of an imperial audience, this nobody seems to pick a fight with the great Buddhist benefactor. The apparent disconnection between Bodhidharma and the emperor has troubled people ever since. Imperial officials disapproved of the dialogue because it seemed to injure the dignity of the throne. On their side, since the earliest times, Zen Buddhists have held up the emperor of Liang as a perfect encapsulation of someone who, doesn't, who just doesn't get it. He is the foil against which all true adepts can define themselves. Uh, he continues, I have more sympathy for the Emperor of Leon. Why? Because I am the Emperor of Leon. I possess the mandate of heaven, I wear the 12 ornaments of imperial majesty, and I bear the jade seal of the realm. You too are the Emperor of Leon. And the Emperor of Leon is also the Emperor of Leon. This is because the Emperor of Leon shows us the way. In the Zen school of Bodhidharma, there are no teachers, only students, and he is the first student in China. He is the base of the pillar, and he makes the pillar straight. His attitude to Zen is honest. He asks questions and doesn't pretend to understand the answers. What is the true meaning of the Holy Dharma? asks the Emperor of Leon. Is that a stupid question? Stupid questions are, all, are often the most helpful. When I was traveling from one Korean monastery to another, I asked every Zen master I met the same question. They gave me various answers, but their answers didn't really matter. What mattered was that we were sitting together, drinking tea and looking into each other's eyes. The Emperor of Liang and Bodhidharma also met this way. As is said in another book, The Precious Teachings of the Zen Schools, accumulate learning by study, understand what you learn by questioning. When the emperor asks, who are you? He shows that, dis that despite a lifetime of devotion to Buddha's way, he will not take Bodhidharma's teaching on faith. He's not just going along for the ride. Zen students today are told that mind is empty, that form is empty, that all things are empty. But what does this mean? Check for yourself or not even a personal audience with Bodhidharma can help you. The practice of Zen and that, thank you for saying just that, Darcy. The practice of Zen has nothing to do with faith. There is no book and no teaching that you can take at face value. Nothing is fixed. As Bodhidharma says, there's no holiness in it. Yet we all want teachings. The shelves of bookstores are spilling with Buddhist lore, both ancient and modern. On top of that, we now have new places to look for advice, podcasts, apps, with built-in libraries of recorded Dharma talks, and videos of famous teachers. I'm always alarmed when I hear or read an exposition of the Dharma and it makes too much sense. Anything that dissolves so easily in your mouth cannot be good for you. Similarly, I'm hesitant about the teachers who make no sense at all. Their words are fragrant with Zen, but the eating 
is no more nourishing than grass. What you get in the stories of the Blue Cliff Record is different. They seem appealing, but resist understanding. They make you seek for insights that hang just outside your range, like a, blue, like a ripe persimmon dangling over your head. You reach, but can't quite touch it, so you extend your arm further, trying to find an extra inch somewhere in its length, but the fruit remains just beyond your grasp. In fact, it will never be in your grasp. You will never taste it. Feeding you was never the point. This is a stretching exercise. When we stretch for meaning, we do not attain. We say, I don't know. The emperor of Liang made no bones about the fact that he had no idea what Bodhidharma was talking about. I don't know is the most important thing a Zen student can think to himself or herself. Both the emperor and Bodhidharma say it in this case, as Kim pointed out. And that is the true budding of Zen into recorded history. It's called Don't Know Mind. When you experience Don't Know Mind for yourself, you are wearing the slippers of the emperor. And in that moment, where is Bodhidharma? He has already departed for the north. So, I love that. I love that exposition and, and the way that he turns that around, that the that we feel it, if, if you're like me, I, pardon me for saying we at the beginning. If you are like me, you may feel that there is a clear hero in the story, a clear foil that the hero is teaching. But what Matthew Jukson Sullivan Sullivan does is to show that that's one reading, but not the only reading, and perhaps not the best reading. That that in fact, what opens us, what opens everything up to us as students, is the mutual exploration that can come with not settling for an easy answer, not relying on authority, as the Buddha told the the. Um, Kalamas. Kalamas, thank you. My favorite sutra, and I can't remember the name of it. Uh, don't go by authority. Don't go just because it's written down. Uh, test it out for yourself. And then, and so this is uh, a reading of this famous koan, which points to this necessity for all of us. And it shows the necessity for us of our community and what we, of what we share with each other. Thank you. Any, I, I invite any further comments. Um, and not seeing any, I ask that um, we now go to our closing. Uh, thank you, Rosemary, for being monitor today and for enabling everything that we do in connecting together this way.